Choose Linux, episode 32, for April 2nd, 2020. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm Mel. And here we are for episode 31. And before we get started, you want to give a bit of a shout out to the Solus team, Elle. I do. You know, after we tweeted out that we'd reviewed it, they were very interactive and just joking around with us. And it just made me realize how much having a strong team behind your product that is available to the community can mean. It was very obvious to me that if I had had problems or I'd had questions, they would be just as responsive. I I think that goes a long way for people just starting out with an operating system. Yeah, and if you look at the YouTube episode, Josh, who's the lead dev there, left a detailed commentary of kind of addressing some of the points that we made, so do check that out. But let's get on with today then, something a bit unusual, Windows 10, Windows 10. So Al, you've been using this. First of all, why have you been using Windows 10? All right, I am going to be a little bit too honest here. And um, if anybody ever caught my Confessions of a Sysadmin talk last year, you know, there was a part of it where I proudly announced, you know, I've never used Windows. And I was just so proud of that fact. And the more that I've gotten into researching cybersecurity and just the fundamentals of computing, I've realized what I've been talking about is, hey, I'm trying to tackle this with one hand tied behind my back. Because though Linux kind of rules in the server world, Windows is everywhere. Yeah, it's still very much dominant on the desktop. So as someone who's mostly used Linux, how did you get on with Windows 10? I think that a lot of people um, might be throwing things at the radio or phone as they're listening to this. So I will give the caveat that I truly had never used Windows. So a lot of things that may have been native or just basic, I don't know, muscle memory for people were things that were very strange to me. Um, I think I spoke on a different episode about the fact that it took me three days just to get it installed because I couldn't figure out how to make the USB. Thank you guys for help on that. Did you use Rufus in the end then? I cheated completely and will own that and had somebody else make me a boot up disk off of a Windows machine. Okay, that's not cheating. Let's just ask him for help. You know, I I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this is just admit your, I want to say ignorance because that's what it feels to me and I'm sure there's a nicer way to say it and ask for help because it will make the journey, whether it's Linux or Windows, a lot easier. Definitely, yeah. No matter what you're using, whether it's a Mac or Windows or Linux or Android or iOS, if you have problems, then yeah, just ask someone who knows about it. And generally speaking, you're going to find someone out there. We talked about the community. I'm sure that even in the Linux community, people will help you with Windows because most people, I mean, Drew, you've got a fair bit of experience with Windows, right? (laughs) Going all the way back to Windows 3.1. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I get it installed, and honestly, that was really easy. Uh, It was very similar to a lot of the Linux installs that I've done, where a system is completely just using the GUI. I'm not having to configure a lot. So really nothing to provide back on that. But once I got it loaded, we went through the update process, which I was expecting to be a lot worse, as much as people speak negatively about that process. (laughs) choosing my words carefully here. And the one thing that suddenly just made me realize why people complain is the amount of pop-ups that just showed up on my screen. I've got Teams, I've got Outlook, I've got warnings, I've got tips. And I'm just like, okay, I can't judge the desktop because it's completely covered. 
Yeah, not to mention the horrendous start menu with adverts in it, essentially. I don't think I noticed that. Do you mean like advertisements for their own products? Yeah. Ah. And games and stuff like that. I will say the McAfee thing. I was just like, wait, why is this popping up? I thought, you know, we had Windows Defender and is that not good enough? That was a little bit confusing coming in new from that. I wonder if you got an OEM boot disk because typically I think a uh, standard boot disk direct from Microsoft won't have any of that. It will just have the Windows Defender pre-installed. You may have gotten something from some device manufacturer somewhere. I can't speak to that, but that that very much could be the case. Um, so as I'm going through and using this, and I've rebooted and I've done other things and closed Windows out, one thing that was just getting on my nerves is every single time I turned on the computer, there is the Teams pop-up asking me to sign up. And I'm like, I don't want to. And I would close the window. And later I'd come up and turn it back on, and there it is again. So one thing that I didn't know about was that you could go in and customize what was loaded when you first started out. And I can't actually think of a time that I had to do that on a Linux box. Like I had to go in and say, please load this, but I never had to opt out instead. Yeah, I'm not sure how to do it these days. I'd still do it with regedit. Um, is there a GUI way to do that then? There is. Uh, if you open up the task manager, they've moved a lot of the auto start stuff into there for Windows 10, at least on the later builds. Okay. But that is a very good point that you make that with Linux, it's very, very rare that this thing's starting that you don't want to start on boot and it's totally the other way around. You want to start whatever it is, Slack or whatever. Um, and with Windows, there's just so much just bloatware, it seems, that just starts by default and slows it down. Well, and not only that, just about every application that you install wants to go ahead and insert itself into the auto start. So when you add more stuff to it, it just gets worse and worse and worse until the finally had to hide the system tray by default. So you had to click it open to see the 10, 20, 30 different things that you've got that load automatically. Now, before people keep listening and going, all right, this is another episode where the Linux people kind of poo-poo on Windows. Note that overall, I'm, I'm actually going to give a pretty positive review as I, I really did enjoy my, my time with Windows. I, I'm still using it on a different box. And one of the reasons I kind of really was excited to come in and talk about this is I know Chris talked about this in Linux Unplugged, and he had a experience maybe from like a power user that he didn't so much enjoy, but I thought I could kind of present a newbie experience on what it was like converting to Windows as we normally talk about converting to Linux. With all of that said, though, I, I did run into a few problems. For example, OneDrive. And it is the default backups for Windows, I guess. And the big problem for me is the exclusion options were pretty much three options. So when I was running uh, VMware and I was creating VMs, it would automatically try to backup those files into OneDrive and just killed all of the space that I had available. I'd love to see them have something like Google Drive or can I just plug something in to do the backups? I don't know if y'all have had experience with that. No, OneDrive is something that whenever I've had to use Windows, I just kill and just say, don't start up, just go away, please. I'll back up uh, my own way. Yeah, I never used it for, you know, like personal use, but I've set up plenty of businesses with it. And it's a totally different product when you're talking about business. 
So could you guys maybe in your past experience give me some recommendations on how you guys set up backups? Because I haven't figured it out yet. I can't just do a little script that backs everything up like I normally do. No rsync found. (laughs) I would say the best recommendation out there is Backblaze for most people. It is a backup service that gives you unlimited space and unlimited backups and runs on Windows, will capture the entire hard drive. It's been a lifesaver for a lot of people. And they actually do also support Linux. So it's good to get out there and support people who also support Linux. Can we talk about Windows Update? Presumably you had a fairly up-to-date image that was installed, so there weren't that many updates for you to do, because otherwise you would be complaining about that first, I think. Okay, so I used this window box for a little less than a month, I think. I'm probably hitting a month right now, and I did experience updates twice. However, both times, one time it happened when I shut down, and it's like, hey, install updates and then shut down, which if I had been in a hurry, that probably would have been an issue. Um, But luckily, I was just shutting it down, and I left it on my desk. The other time, the updates notified me in the little taskbar, and it just gave me an option on when I wanted to do it. So it didn't really affect my workflow, which is what I was imagining the way that people speak about updates. Yeah, recent builds have gotten quite a bit better about doing their updates. It used to be that you would be in the middle of typing a document or whatever you're doing, and then all of a sudden, Windows has to install updates, and it's automatically restarting for you, and people would get so upset. They finally adjusted it uh, not that long ago, even, and it is better, but it was really bad for a long time. I kind of have a funny story about that and how Windows is, I guess, more receptive to feedback. All right, nobody judge me because I am very embarrassed about this, but I didn't know what the taskbar was, like what I was supposed to refer to it. And after a while, it would just get stuck on my screen. Like it wouldn't hide the way that I wanted it to. And so it was just taking up a large portion of my screen, in my opinion. And I'm searching like menu bar and searching like little bar at the bottom. I didn't have the terminology. So I jump on Twitter and I'm like, somebody help me out. And one of the community advocates, uh, Jen, actually reached out and she's like, hey, I work on the taskbar team. That's the word that you're looking for. And we'll definitely take feedback and I'll give it back to my team. This is probably what's going on. It's probably your notifications. But I can understand that that's stressful. So I will take all of your feedback and you know bring it to the team. I thought that's a great outreach and a great way to make people feel more connected to the product, similar to what I had talked about with Solus. It's not a luxury that many Linux distros can afford, though, paying people to hang around on Twitter looking for that stuff and helping people. A huge company like Microsoft can afford to do it, but a smaller distro has no chance. Well, and that's a pretty new thing, too. A lot has really changed with the culture around Microsoft. I mean, you know, us Linux users, we've been watching it for years, and just in the past couple of years is when they've really become more, I don't know, consumer friendly. I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but more open with their users and especially with non-business users. It's something that I'm still getting used to personally. Five years ago, you never would have seen that kind of interaction. I think I've seen that most with the reactor spaces, which is one of the reasons that I I kind of 
became a little bit more open to approaching windows and the community behind it. Because, you know, here they have all these spaces that are just opened up for free to community. They, they give rooms where people can have, you know, meetings. And I've been to a few conferences where they were being held there. And I don't know, it, it gives me that sense of community that is the reason that I flocked to Linux to begin with. So my experience of Windows, especially Windows connected to the network, is that over time it slows down. Is that still the case, Drew? You've got more recent Windows experience than me, I think. If you install Linux, it will basically run at that speed for the entire life of the installation. Whereas with Windows, at least with XP and 7, which I had more experience with, they would just slow down over time very, very slowly. But you install it for someone, they use it just for normal use for, I don't know, two years or whatever, and then it's just unbearably slow. Well, there are a couple of factors at play, but the biggest one is that you just kind of have to do regular maintenance. And Windows doesn't set up that maintenance by default. So, you know, somebody who was like me, who was... Yeah, you know, sysadmin, MSP kind of person, break fix, doing that sort of thing. A lot of times, the first thing that I would do when I would touch a computer, if somebody was complaining about it, would be to go through and touch up some of the stuff that doesn't always get touched. And I'm not going to go through a whole list of all the various little things, but there are a lot of them that really just need some love and care and attention every now and then. And most people simply don't do that. Computer maintenance isn't something that your average person really thinks about. So yeah, it does slow down over time. But I don't think it's any one particular failing or any, you know, Windows is better than Linux because of this. It's just a matter of the work just doesn't get done to the same way that it does on Linux. So something that I'm surprised that you haven't immediately complained about, Al, is the telemetry stuff, the, the privacy stuff. With Linux, that is just a given. You just assume that it's not going to be phoning home. And when certain distros have tried to add a bit of telemetry stuff, everyone's up in arms. Whereas all that stuff is generally on by default in Windows. Did you specifically turn it off or what? I must admit that this is kind of a, a first world benefit or a benefit of working for a technology company is that I've very much been, you know, use the right tool for the right thing. I, I still have a Cubes build. I'm still using Tel. I have a Linux box. So I really wasn't worried. I'm not doing my banking on my Windows box, even though I guess I'll get to that in the, the virus section of this conversation. But it was just a really simple laptop for me to use when I, I even presented at scale with it, which was kind of a scary experience. Um, it became like a travel computer where I really didn't worry too much about it. So you weren't worried that it was phoning home and, and you know, giving Microsoft all your data then? It was kind of like, I, I don't care in this minute. Like, I hate to admit that as privacy oriented as I am, but I was just careful with what I was running on it, knowing that this was just a test and play experience. If this was an everyday daily driver, it might have been something that I was more worried about. But I have to admit that I didn't delve into the subject. Fair enough. Yeah. One thing I brought up was actually um, virus scanners or malware scanners. I'm not really sure what they're called on the Windows side because um, I've only ever really used them on the Linux server side. But it was interesting because as I'm going through it and I'm researching a little bit, I, I know there's Windows Defender. However, there are a ton of products out there being sold for you know, antivirus and just security-wise on that end. Um, 
And I remember whenever we did it Linux server side, we scanned for Windows viruses more than we scanned for anything on the Linux operating system itself. I actually jumped on Twitter and said, hey, what's going on with, you know, antivirus on Linux? Is anybody running it? And really the only responses I got were server side. So that was a minute of pause. Like I'm understanding that by running Windows, I am exposing myself a bit more to compromise and vulnerabilities. Yeah, and that's just because of the sheer amount of time that Windows has been around and the number of Windows installations out there. It's it's a target that's worth pursuing, whereas Linux on the desktop is such a small niche that it's just not even really worth it unless it's specific targeted attacks. Well, and to add to that, there is so much cruft left over from older versions of Windows where they have decided specifically that they are going to keep supporting older stuff. And that code gets rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. And there are still vulnerabilities from very old versions of Windows that are still present that may or may not ever get patched. Something interesting to note is about 18 hours ago, (laughs) I still have the pop-up on my phone, I was alerted to the fact that there is a new zero day that's actively being exploited on Windows that doesn't have a patch yet. So I'm sitting there going like, I don't think, I mean, I understand that there are zero days in Linux probably still out in the wild, but I don't remember ever getting this type of notification with any distro that I've been using. Have you guys? No, generally speaking, the first you hear of any security problems are when the updates come down. That's if they're responsibly disclosed, of course. Sometimes you do get zero days and it takes a day or two to be patched. But generally speaking, you are going to get those patches much more quickly, at least on mainstream distros like Ubuntu and Fedora and Arch or whatever. I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit. Um, You know, in my previous work, I did a lot of security and Part of what I did was scan for CVEs, and there have been unpatched CVEs, and they don't always make the biggest headlines. They're not always critical, but uh, they do exist, and they do get patched, I think, with more frequency than a lot of the closed systems do. But that's not to say that everything is always patched you know, before it gets disclosed. It's simply not the case. Maybe that's actually one of the benefits then instead of a negative is due to the amount of users that are out there and the amount of people doing analysis on Windows, it's more public, it's announced more, even if it is a little overblown by the media. Can we talk about the desktop itself then? With Linux, of course, it's trivial to switch out the the shell, the desktop environment for pretty much anything you want. It is somewhat possible on Windows, but generally speaking, you are pretty much stuck with what you get. I feel like I should prepare myself for the tomatoes being thrown on this portion. But remember, I'm new to a lot of this. And on a previous episode, we'd kind of reviewed Regolith, or we did review Regolith and, you know, i3. I really did get a similar feeling with the desktop because of all the shortcuts that I could use. It was not intuitive. I will completely own that. I did a lot of complaining on Twitter till somebody said, why don't you use the shortcuts? And I went, what shortcuts? And there are just a ton. 
especially right now, my favorite is all of the different desktop environments. So if you do control windows and then the side keys, depending on which way you're going, you can get completely different desktop environments. That reminded me a lot of my experience on cubes of having everything separated. For example, on window one, I could have like Excel and on window two, I have my browser going. And when you go over to the task menu, only the applications that you have open on that window are being shown on the taskbar. So what I did is I set one up for personal use, I set one up for the schooling that I'm doing, and I set one up for work. And I wasn't being distracted by the other things. I could just focus on what I was doing at that time. So bravo to whoever set that up. So another thing about Windows is the kind of lack of control. With a Linux machine, you can just sudo and then run things as root or even just sue to root or whatever, you have complete control if you are the admin at least. Whereas with Windows, it's not as straightforward. That is definitely something I experienced to a bit of my embarrassment. Um, I recently went back to school and I'm sitting in this class where we're reviewing Windows and using a bit of PowerShell and my commands just are not working. And you guys have to understand, I have a book and all I have to do is be a little monkey with a keyboard and type in exactly what I see, but it keeps failing. So finally, I raise my hand and I ask the teacher and he goes, oh, you have to run that as an administrator. I'm sitting there like, oh no, SU doesn't work, maybe sudo. And finally I have to raise my hand again and say, how do I run commands as an administrator? And it turns out I actually have to open the application as an admin, which to me is a little scary. It's like, you know, going up to root and just staying there. It it just seems a little bit of dangerous if you were going to actually be doing something where you're running scripts and could accidentally run something you didn't mean to. I will completely own doing that on a Linux box. Yeah, you have to right-click and run as administrator, don't you? Which is not very intuitive if you're coming from Linux. With all that said, though, one thing that I failed to do on Windows, which I always tell everybody to do on Linux, is go and read the docs. So once I knew the proper terminology to start researching and actually going through their documentation, I will say that they have an amazing team. These docs are on point. They take the time to actually do screenshots for individuals like me that might not know what the text is actually referring to. So I can just go, okay, I click that box and I go this. And they take a section as well on the bottom to explain what is actually occurring. So bravo to their documentation team. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. There was a time when Microsoft was not great about documenting things. In fact, they weren't even documenting things in their own code to the point where they did at one point have to hire the Samba developers to come in and explain their own CIFS system to them. I did not know that one. I'm going to go and read up more on that. (laughs) Well, to wrap up the Windows talk then, I normally ask if things are going to stick around. Do you think you're going to keep using Windows as well as Linux? I think I need to, to be honest. I think that I have really put myself in, let's just go with the pickle, having not used it. And I think there is a lot more to know before I can say I know the fundamentals of Windows. Yeah, that sounds like a sensible approach. All right, back to proper Linux then. Something that you've been using recently, Drew, is Sway Window Manager, which from what I can tell is i3 but with Wayland. Yeah, you're exactly right there. It is basically i3 for people who want to go all in on Wayland. So backing up, i3, that is a tiling window manager. Yes, it is the window manager that Regolith is based on, which we reviewed way back when. 
And essentially, instead of having floating windows everywhere, every time you open up something new, it places it into a grid with all of your existing windows. So everything is present all at once, but you also have virtual desktops that you can flip through. And Wayland is a little bit more complicated to explain. Yeah, Wayland is kind of the successor to the X window manager. It is the thing that drives your actual display and connects to your monitor hardware and translates the things that are going on into the computer into something that you see. But unlike XXorg, which is an actual display server, Wayland is just a protocol and you need other software to talk to it. That's right. And that's where Sway comes in. It is essentially a Wayland compositor that will tell Wayland how to do the things that it needs to do to get images onto your screen. And GNOME has one, KDE has one. I doubt XFCE is even working on one yet, but various ways of talking to Wayland exist already. And this is just one implementation. And so how does it differ from regular i3 then? Aside from being based on Wayland, not a whole lot. There are some different applications that are Wayland native that you have to use. Like if you were on i3, you might be using Rofi to launch applications and things like that. Whereas on Sway, you'd be using an application called Wofi. You know, clever naming there, but it works really well and it's nice and easy and works great on Wayland. You can still use the old X-based stuff, but it's just a little clunkier and it's not quite as fancy. So typically you want to aim for those Wayland native apps. That said, if you're coming from i3, you can directly import your i3 config file into Sway with very few changes and be up and running in just a couple of minutes with not much different from what you were used to. So Drew, a quick question for you, and, and yes, it's the newbie question. That's what I come with. But what's the use case here? Like, why would I use this instead of like Regolith that we used previously? That is an excellent question. And I still really love Regolith. I think the Regolith project is fantastic. But sometimes I like to look at the future and kind of see where we're going and help test things out so that we can get more eyeballs on the road ahead. And Wayland really is the road ahead. Now that Canonical is contributing to it and there's no more Wayland versus i3 thing, we do have to move on from X because that code is so old. And it is time that people really start putting Wayland through its paces. I mean, Fedora's been using Wayland by default for a few releases now, and for the most part, it's been great. There are a few little paper cut type areas, but they're getting more and more fringe as time goes on. And I think it's about time that we really start taking Wayland seriously. Apart from it being new, though, what are the actual advantages of Wayland? over an X-based system? So I'm not an engineer. I don't fully understand all of the benefits of it, but the biggest arguments I've seen for it are security and being able to do more nifty things like avoid screen tearing and just generally be more agile than X. I've heard a lot of arguments about security as well, um, given that 
X goes back to the 70s, or at least the roots of it do. It's a very, very old code. It's very bloated. There's potential for a lot of security vulnerabilities in there. So I can see how just a completely fresh start would be warranted. But then I, I do take your argument about needing to kind of go forwards. But for me, X is working fine. So I just, I'm, I'm quite conservative when it comes to these things. I think let people like you do the testing, and then once it's finally ready, then I'll switch to it. Well, and that's fine. There's nothing that says that everybody has to go to it right away. But I feel like anybody who's a little more adventurous like myself, you know, there's nothing stopping you from at least trying it out. And if you're on something like GNOME, you can always drop back to GNOME on Xorg, which is the default for Ubuntu still. So, you know, if you're feeling adventurous, maybe give it a try. If not, stick with what works. It sounds like this isn't going to be your daily driver then. It's something that you're kind of testing as an alternative to GNOME and Regolith and stuff. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to stick with it for forever. I will probably go back and play with it. I kind of get this bug where I want to do a tiling window manager once every year or so. And I'll spend about a month, two, maybe even three months with a tiling manager for a little while. And then I'll end up going back to something a little more, uh, I don't know, familiar, something like GNOME. You're a strange man, Drew, I must say. <laughs> Why don't you just pick something and stick with it? No apologies. I want to try everything. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, we'd better wrap it up then. You can go to choose slash subscribe for all the ways to get future episodes. And you can go to choose slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter too. The show is at choose Linux and I am at Drew of Doom. And I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at L O punk. And I'm at Joe Rissington. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye.